Welcome to Retirement Plan Playbook, a much-anticipated show about index funds. I'm your host, Brent Pasqua, and founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with the certified financial planner, Matthew Thiel, and also certified financial planner, Joshua Winterswijk. Gosh, it feels good to be in here. You know, it felt a little normal this week, and I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but after March Madness took a year off last year, because that's right when COVID hit, basketball tournaments started back up again. Did you guys do a bracket this year? Uh, yeah, I did, and, and I do agree with you. I, I do think it was feeling a little bit more normal seeing the tournament um, tip off a few weeks ago. Um, I did a bracket. It's already toast. It went down the I, the first week, and I think Saturday or Sunday, I picked the Illinois to go all the way and you know hoist the trophy, and uh, they got upset in round two. So yeah, my bracket's toast. So for everyone who doesn't know, March Madness bracket, so it's the college basketball tournament that normally happens in March. That's why they call it March Madness. I forgot like how much I enjoy it because it didn't happen last year. And when I was watching it last couple of days, even my wife was like into it because it, yeah, it felt normal. Um, I did make a bracket this year, so I was glad I did that. So we're following my bracket and um, I haven't lost any of my final four teams yet, which is positive, but uh, I'm rooting for UCLA. So uh, go Bruins. I don't know what got lost sort of in the chaos, but I didn't even realize that the basketball, college basketball was even playing. And then when I went to go do my bracket, because I can't do Mar- we can't go through March Madness without doing a bracket. And I went to go do my bracket. I saw that there's like hardly any powerhouse teams. So I don't know what happened this college basketball season, but none of the big boys are up there this year. Yeah, like Duke, Kentucky, right, Matt? What was the other ones we were talking about earlier? Uh, Michigan State. Uh, but yeah, no, even the tr- none of the traditional powers are good, though. Like, who, who was it? Uh, Villanova is usually good. UConn's yeah. usually good. North Carolina. Yeah, they're, they're all, all, they all kind of flamed out. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's exciting. It's nice to have it back on, and it it doesn't feel like COVID's around. I mean, they're doing a really good job. It seems like with it. Yeah, yeah. I think they've only had one game that was kind of compromised to all of the games so far. Um, but uh, really nice to see it back, and I, I am enjoying it more than I thought I was going to before it even starts. So I missed it a lot more than I thought. And there's nothing that hypes up the tournament more than having a good bracket, right? Yeah, yeah, filling out your own bracket and rooting for it. And then, I mean, obviously everyone has to like the upsets. There's been a lot of upsets too. Yes. So, different year. Should, should be a great tournament this season. Yeah, absolutely. Extra, extra, read all about it. Let's hear the latest hot takes on some recent news items. All right, let's get into the hot take headlines. Uh, the American Rescue Plan of 2021, a $1.9 fiscal stimulus plan was passed by Congress and signed into law by President Biden. The main features of the bill, $1,400 stimulus check per individual for those who are eligible, expanded child tax credit from $2,000 to $3,000, and extensions for unemployment claims. Curious what your guys' thoughts are on this. Was this even needed? And what do you think about this? I'm not sure it's needed. I kind of think at this point the economy is... uh really starting to take off and in a way it's kind of like throwing gasoline on the fire but then you know the flip side is you can make the argument that this um was needed right because it's throwing the gas on the fire it's getting that economy hot it's it's getting things moving um and the economy is doing really well right now so i was in downtown pasadena over the weekend just um walking around and i noticed on all the restaurants they have help wanted signs for servers and I don't know if any, if the two of you have um, tried to eat at a restaurant or order delivery from a restaurant since um, indoor dining was back in California. 
and I've had some really poor pickup and delivery experiences since mm. it got started. I called a sushi restaurant at four o'clock a, a week ago, and they told me my food would be ready by seven. I was hoping I would get it at five. I was like, ah, oh, no, uh, that's all right. Thanks though. So all these restaurants are really, really struggling. So hopefully, you know, the, these checks help and you know get the economy going. But the other thing too is why didn't they tie this to getting your vaccination? Right. How cool would it have been if you got your vaccination that then after you get your second shot, they print you out your check right on the spot? Yeah, and I feel like that was talked about like for months that they would pay people for their vaccinations, but that really hasn't came about. But then they could have tied this check to that, and then you, you, know, you, you take care of two things at once. Yeah, I'm for that as well. Get the checks, get the vaccine, and let's move on. But it seems like there was a lot, some of this bill, in my opinion, you know, they're throwing money at things we already kind of even passed, like testing. But also, they decreased the threshold for income for the stimulus checks. So it like fell off a cliff for anyone. You wouldn't receive it if you earned over seventy five thousand individually, and then one hundred fifty for um, married filing jointly. Um, and then I thought it was also interesting that they expanded the dependent age. So I think it's up to like twenty four years old. If you still were claiming a dependent in college, then you got an extra bonus in the stimulus checks. I thought that was interesting. That was different than the first two. If people's savings are really at all times high and debts are going down, why, why do people need this extra money then? I mean, I think there is a certain part of the economy that is still struggling, um, that, that is out of work. Um, but, but then why didn't they just build a bill for those people? I think it's too hard. Like, you can't make it too general. You kind of have to make a broad. And I mean, they did cut out a lot of Americans who have been working and making good money through the crisis. Most likely, they're not getting a check or, you know, helped out by this bill at all. And lowering that income bracket. But I agree with you. I mean, focusing more money on the more of the people who actually needed it. Right. Because you could see, like, what you were just talking about with sushi restaurants, where this problem's going to lie, right? Because if they, didn't, they don't open up, they're not going to have servers. And, and once they do open up, then maybe they can get some help. But then you got takeout help. So you need. It seems like it would create a tremendous amount of challenge, and not everyone wants to work in a restaurant and not make enough money on tips. So, like, it seems like it's going to be hard to restaff these restaurants properly. Yeah, and then the other thing too is, you know, they boosted the unemployment, right? So then, for some people, it's actually better to sit home and be unemployed than it is to go to work. So, what they possibly should have done is offer like a five thousand dollars bonus stimulus if you go get a job and you keep the job for like a month or something like that. Right. That would have been a cool way to get the economy going. Yeah, because if you're going back to work part-time, especially in like a restaurant setting, then you might not you know, be making, like you said, as much as you would just on unemployment. So where is that incentive? Yeah, I agree. It seems like it's still a challenge, but hopefully, hopefully we're, we're, we're taking the right steps and you know, at least they're doing something they're not doing anything at all. The IRS has pushed back tax day by a month this year to May 17th. One interesting fact is not only can you delay filing your taxes, but you can also delay your IRS tax payment to May 17th, uh, if you owe. What are your thoughts on this movement? Well, I think it was a, a big rumor for a while. Um, it, it came true a month. doesn't really make that much of a difference for me. I mean, if you know, you're ready to get your taxes, get your taxes done. Um, one thing, though, for those of you who do the IRA contributions is it's also May 17th, so it gives you a little extra time to save for the, your payment or save for your IRA contribution, which is nice. Why did they wait so long to, to delay this? I don't know, and the writing was on the wall back in like, January, February, when they delayed the start of filing season, you know, why wouldn't they, you know, just extend it then so everyone knew and wasn't so curious about if it was going to be extended. But I think it is a little bit of a relief too for people who do or trying to figure out their tax situation or typically owe as well, right? Because your payment's now delayed. 
So I think there's a little bit of a relief there for, for those filers, but I'm not sure why they waited so long. I think that it would have been a lot better served for the public to know that they were going to have this extension back in January or February. Speaking of vaccines, why aren't tax preparers in the essential group? You know, it's weird. I was just thinking the exact same thing as we were sitting here that a lot of people who get their taxes done want to actually sit right in front of their preparer and go over all the details. It would seem very essential for them to be vaccinated. Yeah, like you would think they'd be in group one or group two. I mean, it's, I don't know how it is in other states, but here in California, they're not included at all. So really strange, actually. It seems like a lot of the IRS is still working remotely from my understanding. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It seems like they would probably need to get vaccinated as well. Now that we've warmed up with some hot ticks, let's go to the retirement planning corner and see what's on the docket for today. All right, let's head into the retirement planning corner. On today's retirement planning corner, we're really going to discuss why every retiree needs to have a low fee index fund in their retirement account. Now, we can't say every client, right? That's probably against some sort of compliance. So I don't know who typed these notes. (laughs) But uh, let's get into a little bit of information about the index funds. Matt, what is an index fund? So an index fund is probably the greatest invention to ever come to the individual investor. And you've heard of the S&P 500, right, Josh? The Dow Jones? Dow Jones. NASDAQ, another index? Yeah. So those are all stock indexes. And what an index fund does is it is designed to track those indexes near perfectly with minimal tracking error. And so what happens is a fund company or a manager will go out and buy every stock in that index. Therefore, their fund will be mimicking that index. So when you're watching the evening news, CNN, Fox News, ABC, Fox 11, whatever it is, and you see the S&P 500 is up 2%, if you own an index fund that invests in the S&P 500, that means your S&P 500 index fund was up 2% that day. Now, is that a position that everyone should just buy in their portfolio and have it sitting there? Like, does that solve the whole portfolio issue or is an index fund a more broad position that's held throughout your portfolio? I think it's perfect for, you know, 99% of all people who are out there trying to invest their money, right? Why wouldn't you want to get the market return? I mean, you could try and do a little better, but um, studies have shown that that's pretty hard to do. Josh, what are some key characteristics that make an index fund different than a traditional stock fund? Well, I think to, to just explain, you know, who is on the other side of an index fund, right? We've, we've talked about active management or stock picking before. So buying the index is the opposite of that. It's opposite of forecasting and guessing which is going to be the winner. Because like Matt had mentioned, you're buying the whole index. So you're buying, let's say, the top 500 companies in the US market if you're buying the S&P 500. And the main difference is that exactly. So instead of buying a share of Apple, you're actually buying all of the stocks in that index. So you're not having just exposure to that one company or a few companies. So you still get the benefit and the appreciation of the stock market. It's just on that more general um, diversified base instead of having all of the focus in a one or few or even an actively managed fund, which would mean you know, you're trying to guess the winners internally with the fund. So so basically, a mutual fund is, is a basket full of stocks, right? And then and if it's actively managed, then a manager is pulling stocks in and out of that basket. And his goal is to beat the rate of return of what the actual index is, right? He's trying to beat the market. He's trying to outperform the market. And rather than trying to do that, you're just buying the actual index and you're following actual market returns of the index that you're purchasing. 
Correct. Yeah, it's you know it's a more it's a passive strategy, right? There's passive versus active, and buying an index fund is a passive strategy. What you're describing is an active strategy where you're actively trying to beat the market. So why should somebody go index versus active? Predictability, probability, um, fees. Um, passive is all better, right? Like if you buy a passive fund, you have a pretty good idea of what your returns are going to be over the long run. So historically, the stock market, the S and P 500 averages 9 to 10% a year. Well, if you know you're in a tracking fund that tracks the S&P 500, then you have a pretty good idea you're going to do 9 to 10% per year. If you're in an active fund with a star active manager, the, the top one right now that everyone's really in love with is Kathy Wood. You know, one year you might do 35%. The next year you might do negative 25%. The year after that you might do 2%. You just don't know what you're going to do. It's a toss-up. What I think it kind of goes back down to, and I think it, it sort of at least makes sense to me, is it's like if you go to Vegas and you're sitting at the blackjack table, or if you're you know, setting up a blackjack table, an index fund is kind of like you being the dealer, you're buying the house, and the active managers are the players around the table trying to beat the house. That's a great analogy. And, and how often do you actually beat the house? You might beat the house once, you might beat the house twice, but over a long haul, you're not going to beat the house because the house always wins. And so I think that's a big difference between active management and then index funds. Yeah, and I think the split right now is less than 20% of actively managed funds outperform the indexes or the benchmarks. So, you know, pretty low probability when you're looking to win. And I also just think that, like Matt said, you know, with the unpredictability, like your maintenance is just easier. So you're like making your investment experience just a lot more enjoyable by having less maintenance and taking out all of the guesswork. We're buying the whole market. So we're okay with what it gives us, right? We're invested for the long run. So I think that that's one other key factor to these index funds is, you know, just the ease and the the low maintenance and the low cost are all benefits to the the underlying investor. Here's the thing about doing index funds though too, is you could pretty much guarantee almost with certainty that if you bought an index fund today, in 30, 40, 50 years, that index fund will still be there, right? The S&P 500 has been around since the um, 1950s, I believe. And they had indexes before that in the 1920s. You can't say that same certainty with Apple or Tesla. We don't know if they're going to be here. And everybody always says, oh, no, those are great companies. They'll be around forever. Really? Is, uh, what about General Electric? What about Ford? How many times did those companies almost go bankrupt? Um, what about all those banks in 2008? So instead, though, you're doing the S&P 500. You're buying America. You're buying um, capitalism. It's a great point. Yeah, and it just it really takes the risk out of it. And you know what your returns are going to be because, I mean, if you're comparing that to active management, how do you pick the manager? And then how do you even know if that manager is going to be managing that fund you're buying in two years from now? And you know your risk, right? I mean, you can better understand your risk because you are buying that overall index. When you're buying individual stocks or you're buying an actively managed fund, how do you really know how to measure your risk? Are you even measuring your risk? But I think it's just a lot easier to measure that risk when you're using an index fund. And then, you know, not just the performance issue, but then that there's also that cost issue that begins to come out about it. Matt, what's the difference between a mutual fund and an ETF? And I think this is something maybe challenging for people to understand. So let's break it down. Yeah, great question. Um, so let's take a mutual fund first. A mutual fund is um, essentially an, an investment that invests in various securities, stocks, bonds, whatever you have it. The biggest difference with that and an ETF is a mutual fund actually trades at the end of the day. Um, so it actually doesn't trade when the market's open. You place your trade order when the market's open. 
you say, I want to buy or sell this mutual fund, but they actually don't take the cash from your account until after the market closes. And then you'll see the fund in your account the next day. When are you getting prices while you place a trade or at the close? You get prices based on the end of the day closing. So a mutual fund, what they do is they'll take, say it owns, you know, 500 stocks. At the end of the day, it'll come up with the prices for all those stocks and do their little performance calculation and then tell you if your fund's up or down. That's why when you look in your account, you usually see your mutual funds up or down around 2 or 3 p.m. Pacific time. Now, an ETF is exchange traded. So it could buy and sell stocks or securities just like a mutual fund would, but it trades via the exchange, via like call it the NYSC, right? Everyone knows that. And it trades daily. So you could, you know, go anytime the market's open and you could sell your S&P 500 ETF and you'll get the money in your account. It trades more like a stock. So is there one that's better than the other or what does it come down to? I actually kind of like mutual funds better. And the reason I do is because when the market's open, it's really easy if it's dropping by three, four percent, you know, when we've had those crashes to press sell on your ETFs. But a lot of those times, that's the wrong behavior. And on a mutual fund, right, you know, even if you press sell at, a, you know, 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, you know, you're not going to have your transaction completed till the next day. I think it's more of a challenge to press that sell button. So how does this actually relate to retirees and why are they good for retirees? Um, Well, like we've said, the the number one thing for me is predictability, right? When you're a retiree, you want to know what your portfolio is going to do on a year. You don't want unpredictability in your retirement plan. I always think of it at this too, once you even get to retirement, like if you have a defined strategy that's better for predictability, but then when you get to retirement, portfolio volatility creates income volatility. So when you're retired and living on a fixed income, do you want income volatility? Probably not. I, I mean, I, I know I wouldn't, um, but I think that that's a big thing for retirees is not only are you solidifying your philosophy, it favors you in accumulation phase, but then it's also going to favor you in having less volatility with your income once you actually hit retirement. Now, isn't the Vanguard philosophy created based off an index-based method? Um, yeah, Vanguard is a, an investment company. Um, John Bogle created the index fund in the 70s. Um, he was a researcher in Chicago with a lot of other famous finance people. And he came up with this idea for the index fund. He started a company that I don't remember what the name was that it actually then morphed into Vanguard. And so, yes, Van, Vanguard is the leader in index funds, though I will say most other companies have caught up and pretty much everybody does offer an index fund now. If you kind of want index fund 2.0, you could go the dimensional fund advisors route. Um, That's DFA. They do a lot of stuff with kind of factoring and laying on and kind of making that index fund plus making it a little better than just a standard index fund. So if, and wasn't, wasn't Vanguard's philosophy though, just to also bring down cost and keep returns as close to market performance as possible? Yeah, exactly. That's the whole thing when we say index fund is we're, you know, really talking about low fee index funds where you're not paying somebody, you know, one, 2% to manage the money for you. It's much lower of a cost. We're talking, you know, pennies on the dollar here. So how can a retiree invest in an index fund? Well, a retiree can invest in an index fund, mutual fund, not only in their 401k, they're available in lots of 401ks are becoming so much more popular. So you can do your research within your 401ks, but now at all of the um, big brokerages too. So if you have your IRA or your brokerage account, you can also buy index funds in those accounts as well. They are available. 
just doing your research and, and make sure you are looking at the cost of the index funds. Typically, they're low cost, and that's very important, especially as you're going to retirement, because as you're getting more conservative of going into a retirement phase, you want to be even more cost conscious because you want to keep on to more of your return. But you can definitely buy them in most of your investment accounts now. Just got to do your research. And like you guys had mentioned, Vanguard and DFA are a good place to start. I mean, a, a decade ago, you didn't really have that many index fund options in your 401k plan, but now it's become more standardized that every 401k company or in plan is offering these index options. Yeah, it has to become more standardized. Um, if you're with a big company, chances are you probably have an index fund option in your 401k or your whole plan is actually index-based, right? Not only the S&P 500, but you have international indexes, bond indexes. Um, a lot of the larger, you know, call it top 100 corporations in the U.S. are offering plans like that. If you're a smaller company um, and maybe you're on, I don't want to mention any names, but a popular payroll service is doing your 401k, <laughs> there's a chance you might not have index funds. And in that case, you probably should meet with an advisor to help you out and kind of see what your best options are there. I'm actually kind of surprised, though. I mean, we do do review a lot of 401k plans. It is becoming a lot more popular, which is just good for the investor and for the, you know, if you're a retiree. But there are still a lot of actively managed funds within those plans. So do your research, because I am still shocked that some of these plans lack good index funds, even at this point. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, when I look at most plans still, they'll have you know, 25 actively managed or 15 actively managed funds, and then they'll have five indexes, or it's just still a smaller percentage compared to the active management funds. Yeah. And they'll even have overlapping active managed funds. So meaning, you know, they have three different international stock actively managed funds, but only one index, Correct. you know, fund comparatively. So I just, you know, there still aren't that many you know, great 401k plans out there with great options. So definitely just do your research. There's a company um, out here based in Los Angeles, um, very famous. Right? I think their office is off of the 405 freeway and they're called American Funds. And they're just famous for high fee, actively managed funds that overlap, like you mentioned, Josh, that essentially do what an index does or a little worse. Yeah, I think one way that you can identify an index fund, I think there's two when you're looking at your list of options within your 401k plan. You can look and see if it says the index on there. It's sometimes they identify by the index or they'll just say S&P 500 fund. But also look at the expense ratio because that's a really good indicator sometimes. You know, if you see a 1% uh, fee for the mutual fund, probably is not an index fund unless they're jacking the price on it because that's what the 401k plan does. Yeah, exactly. It's like sort by price first. There's a there's first tip. Yeah. And, and I think what has to be clear here though is an index fund, buying one index fund or putting all your money in your 401k into an A index fund doesn't solve your portfolio issue, right? That doesn't solve it because you, it's like making a cake. You have to have all the ingredients and then you have to have a measurement of each one of those ingredients that makes the cake come actually come out nice. But buying one ingredient and just saying one index fund isn't going to solve that because it's not buying everything. Perfect analogy again, Brent. You blew it away. Think of you know, an S&P 500 index fund is kind of like your first pillar, but then you got to build out from there with other index funds. And, you know, you need bond index, you need international, you need emerging market. You need all these different ingredients to come together to create that cake or that portfolio for you. Yeah, that's a great summary. And I think more of the index fund when we say that is more of the philosophy, not the, the solution, right? It's sure. not the product 
Um, it's more of the philosophy, but great job on on those analogies. Guys. So I think the first step is you know identify where what your portfolio is in. If you're a retiree, whether you're 401k plan or IRA or just your money, see what you have in terms of actively management and just know there's probably a better option that could save a lot of money. And if you don't want to do the research yourself, you know, call a fee-only advisor. We're a fee-only advisor. Ask for a portfolio review. You know, it's, it's pretty simple. Someone will probably charge you by the hour. It won't be that much money and you'll have a better understanding of your portfolio. I mean, what do you do when people ask you for a portfolio review? I tell them my hourly rate, and then if they say yes, I do the portfolio review. <laughs> and then do you, and then how do you do that? I mean, do you build it in software? Oh, take- that's a great question, Brent. Yeah. So what we do is um, we would ask them to send over, you know, their their portfolios, their investment statements, and then um, if it's a four hundred one k, we'd ask them to send over all the fund options in the four hundred one k. We'd run some analysis, um, some back testing on their current setup and the funds they have, and look at all the fees and what what the different investments are invested in. And then we would put together a nice little presentation, go through it with them, and offer some suggestions on ways to uh, make the portfolio better. I think one important part of that analysis is the cost analysis. So you're going to have a really good understanding of how much you're paying. There's just a lot to be learned. And I think it's really informative if you don't know what's in your portfolio to, to do something like that. Investments is like the one industry where you don't really know what you're paying, right? So it's like, you know what you pay your gardener, right? 100 bucks a month, $200 a month. You know what your dry cleaning bill is. But most people don't know what they're paying for their investments, for their portfolios, for their 401k. It's a great point. Yeah. And, and my dry cleaning bill is a lot less through this COVID period, but you make a great point. Same here. <laughs> yeah. and, and the higher that inner lining cost is inside that portfolio, the less returns you're getting. And it, let me tell you, if you're paying a monthly check for that, you'd probably not want to write that check every month because it's just taking away from money in your pocket. Yeah, absolutely. They just take it because... The investment managers kind of pull the fee without you seeing it. But isn't software so amazing nowadays that you could take someone's existing portfolio, run it through a software, put all the information from the portfolio into software, and it tell you everything you need to know about the interlining workings of that portfolio? Yeah, it's incredible. It's amazing how far we've gotten. We used to have to do it by hand. It's not a joke. Yeah, and, and it's just so much more efficient. And then it's also just given us even more better data to make better decisions, becoming even better investors. I, I agree. And, and, and you want to know what you're investing into. I mean, that's, you know, it's your future. Absolutely. And your hard-earned money. It's time for RPA Recommends. All right. Well, let's get into RPA Recommends. Matt, you ready? You know, I don't have a good one today, um, but I am ready. Let me tell you where I'm at right now. Pizza ovens. <laughs> and I've been seeing these online. I'm curious... I, I don't upset. own one. Um, my my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law came over to our house on Saturday and they brought the pizza oven. We made it. It was a lot of fun. All the kids were there. It's a fun little activity to do. Um, my brother-in-law, he had a very nice pizza oven and now I am entering the pizza oven game. Uh-oh. And what I mean is I got to start doing my research <laughs> and figuring out, um, you know, if a, if a pizza oven is going to be a good investment. So do you have the brand that he used? Do you mind sharing that? Like just uh, so, so the listener and myself know like visually me, what, you, let, what you're working It started with the U, I think. Um, let me look it up. So is it like wood burning? Is it gas power? Oh, yeah. It's what, if you're, here's the thing. I, hear, I see a bunch of people on Instagram making pizzas in their oven. If you are not making your pizza on a, a wood-powered pizza oven, you are not making pizza. Wow. That's a pretty bold statement. It is. <laughs> yeah. So the, I, mean, I take it the pizza was good. 
Oh, the pizza was incredible. I mean, they, they're actually really good. My sister-in-law makes a homemade sauce. They got their dough. They're spinning. Did they make the dough homemade too? I think they use Trader Joe's, but I mean, that's step 2.0. Is yeah. the, I, I'm sure next time I see them, they'll have a dough recipe going. That's awesome. That's cool. Are they the Oni ones, the O-O-N-I's? Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. the one. Yeah, I've seen these. I've, I've been seeing these a lot lately. They look pretty cool, and I've seen people actually produce pizzas from them, and they look like a legitimate... Oh, I no, just looked it up. This is really cool. nice made pizza. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. My big thing though is like I don't want to buy too much stuff in store, and I already got a barbecue, and I'm also in this the smoking meat market as well. So I might want to get a Traeger or one that's of those. That's the hard eggs. part because like just accumulating so many like kitchen gadgets, like Instapot, we've talked about like all of those things. So like, where do you draw the line where you like stop on all of the, like the add-on kitchen yeah so it might be something you know we do with them with our kids and everything while they're playing we make pizzas and it's fun um but yeah really cool i'm i am um you know searching for the right one right now well i always thought like one of the coolest things to do when you have people over is do like an open bar pizza party where you can make your own pizzas and throw them in those ovens i i've always thought that that's such a fun thing to do with family so i mean i can sure can if you can find the space for it, it will come in good use yeah, no, that is always fun. We've done that a few times and done like the, the Trader Joe's. They, you know, they have everything in the Trader Joe's to do your own pizzas. And we have like a pizza, what are they called, stone that we've used, but we just thrown it in the oven. But this is game changing. You know uh, what actually is interesting too, I just thought about. So they brought the pizza oven to our house, which you would think is right, kind of hard, right? right? But it's, it's actually fairly portable. Yep. So this is like a perfect thing for when you're tailgating at a game or something. Absolutely. So much better than firing up a barbecue. Yep, you can produce pizzas and well done too yeah can you imagine good. josh how much we could make if we had a pizza oven outside of lafc just handing out personal pizzas <laughs> yeah okay i have our, game our next business for. adventure <laughs> mj or jm pizzas in the parking lot <laughs> what do you have for us um i was thinking about my recommends and one fun thing that me and my wife all like to do at this time is look at the the oscar best picture nominations mm-hmm. and we like to try to watch as many movies from when it's released if we haven't already seen some of them um from when the oscar nomination list is released to the oscars date and then we watch the oscars together but um so we're, we're just barely starting this is the first year i think we didn't watch any of the oscar films before they were actually like the nomination list um done so we had just started we haven't finished it yet but it's the trial of the chicago seven was the first one we started with um that's on netflix so that's just kind of a recommendation something fun to do at home um is to watch all of the 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 best pictures we have a lot of fun with it and typically we uh that day of the oscars we do a little kind of uh, pick the winners contest so uh just kicking off uh, oscar season yeah, I always do. Do you know, are the Oscars going to be on Zoom? Or are they going to go in person? What, have you heard anything about that? I haven't heard about that yet. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm actually just looking at the list right now. I'm really behind on this. I haven't seen any of these movies this when year. When is the Oscars? This, this is like the first year I hadn't seen any of them. I think it's in a few weeks, right? Yeah. Oh, they have a lot of nominees this year. I, I got to catch up. There's eight movies I need to see. Let's take a look. Do you try them. to watch the movies before the Oscars? I, absolutely, I try to. Some of them, though, that don't. The, if the, I watch the trailers, if the trailer definitely doesn't appeal to me, then I won't watch it. There's been a few movies, but for the most part, I, I've kind of started to enjoy good movies. And most of the, if it's getting nominated for a best picture, it's a really good movie. Yeah, that's how we feel too. Uh, April 25th, so we have some time. Nice, so interesting to see uh, your results of your picking. See how well you do. Have Have you watched? Is this called Minari? Yeah, that's with um, the actor from the walking dead right it's about the korean family yes i have not seen that that one looks like the best one yeah i'm excited to watch we had just started the uh, trial of chicago 7 though but it's really it's so far so good so i'll let you guys know how it finishes but 
All right. Well, I have two for us today. As I think COVID's kind of pushing through a little bit, the little things are opening up a little bit more. Sports seasons are starting for kids. So if you're a soccer parent or if you're a grandparent or you're a baseball parent and you want to be comfortable out there watching the game, you know, weather could be climates different in all areas. But there's a GCI outdoor kickback rocker chair. And it's just a portable chair that you bring out there, but it also is able to rock. And it's nice to be able to sit and watch the kids' baseball game and to be in a chair that's actually comfortable. So you're in a comfortable position. You're not sitting on a bench or you're not sitting somewhere that's uncomfortable. You actually have a nice chair where you can sit back and watch the game. To go along with that, there's a Moo Moo Sugar Outdoor Picnic Blanket. And what the blanket does is you could put it on, like, let's say you have your kids in the grass or you're watching the game and you want to sit on the grass. If the grass is wet, you can put the blanket down. It has an insulation in it, so the whole blanket doesn't get wet. So it just now provides another layer of insulation if it's cold outside that, you know, you could stay dry watching, watching the game. These are two really cool recommendations, Brent. Um, you are a youth sports dad now. That's, <laughs> that's for certain, man. Coming out with these rocking chairs and blankets that don't get wet. I love it. I'm looking both of them up. Yeah, both look cool. I even like just a blanket, like if you go out and picnics, that's cool. Yes, right? absolutely. Multi-use. Yeah. Moo Moo Sugar, you said? Yeah, M-U-M-U Sugar. That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to get that blanket. Yeah, and, and you know you want your family to be comfortable while they're watching your kid's game, right? So it provides the, a, a good experience. This chair looks like a cool chair, too, if you're doing like outdoor summer movies as well. Something like that, right? You could put it, recline it. Is that... Absolutely. Then, or if you're, you know, you do a lot of picnics or camping or things like that. I mean, I think... You know, being comfortable is makes the experience better. Yeah, for sure. All right. As advisors, we love helping people. I mean, honestly, that's why we do what we do. That's why we do this show. Uh, if you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. You can also download information about us or our ebook from our website. If you'd like the show notes, please go to retirementplanplaybook.com. As always, we appreciate you listening. Thank you. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.